Good morning, Renew. My name's Lisa. I'm going to read the scripture for us. I'm just going to pray real quick before we um, read the scripture. Dear Lord God, just thank you for this day. Lord, just pray that you would open our hearts and minds as we read the scripture and as Dave um, just shares uh, what he has to say. Lord, we just thank you for this community and thank you for um, just time to spend with you and each other. Amen. All right, so I am going to read from Exodus uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. It's the NIV version. So it should be up there on the screen. All right. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. God is good all the time. God is good. All the time. Uh, what was the Easter one? Oh, Christ, he is risen. Oh, Christ is risen. <laughs> he is risen. Wait, we botched that. Christ is risen? Christ is risen. Awesome. Yes. Um, he has risen indeed, and uh, we believe that. We believe that as followers of Jesus, that... Um, we don't serve, we don't follow a dead God who's in the past in the history books, but who is alive and well in real time, walking with us, talking with us, being with us. Um, we can pray um, in Jesus, with Jesus. He's working. He continues to heal uh, our lives, the lives of people around us, and is working through his church um, in the world. Amen. And. Uh, we continue in the Embody series, and basically what this means is just as Christ came to earth as a human embodied incarna incarnationally, uh, we are called to be the body of Christ as the church and to embody our faith, not just, you know, sing songs about the afterlife that we're going to go to someday, but what we do now echoes in eternity, right? What we, how we live out our faith. Uh, we touch people. Uh, we interact with people. We love one another just as Jesus touched people, healed people, loved people, uh, one another. And um, we learned uh, past Sundays that Jesus wept um, when Lazarus uh, passed away and um, his sisters were weeping over the death of their brother. Jesus, even though he knew he could raise Lazarus up, felt compassion for the sisters and wept. And in the same way, we walk alongside one another 
and we weep uh, with one another. And that's the way, that's ways that we embody Christ's love uh, to each other. Um, what else did we talk about? We talked about reconciliation. Uh, we talked about Jacob and Esau, right, when they reconciled after many years. And, you know, Esau had a right to be really, really angry uh, with Jacob. Um, but when they reunited, um, Esau forgives him, embraces him fully. And Jacob says, um, in, in your face, I see the face of God. So when we forgive one another, extend grace to one another, we allow people to see the face of God in our grace, in our mercy. And likewise, when people, when we are forgiven, we see the face of God. So another way that God, we embody um, Christ's love in the world. Um, what else did we talk about? Uh, I forgot what was last week. Anyways, um, this week I've entitled uh, the sermon Liminal Bodies. And you may be like, Liminal bodies? What is that? Is this some sort of, you know, postmodern, you know, um, college class? What, what's going on here? And everyone say liminal. 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 I, I love that word. Basically what it means is in the middle, right? In the middle, in the space between. If you're a Dave Matthews fan, the space between. Um, it's a song, sorry. Um, liminal bodies. So if there's point A and point B, the liminal space is not in point A and not in point B, but you're in the space in the middle. You're going from point A to point B, but you're not set on solid ground. You're not on the solid ground of the points, but you're in transition. And so there's a lot of studies around liminality, whether it's in cultural studies or uh, racial identity or um, sociology. Um, and even in uh, theology that, um, and for our purposes in the Christian faith and theology, uh, the liminal space is the space where God can work transformation in our hearts, right? If any of you have been in transition, <laughs> right? Transition is really, really hard and when we are in transition, whether that's between jobs, whether that's moving, whether that's um, going from graduating from college and, you know, going back to our parents' house or finding a job, hopefully, uh, whatever it is. Nowadays, it's right, we're going to go back to our parents' house. Um, but transition can be a difficult and very stressful time. Right, because what we're sure of, what, we're, what we can hang our hat on, what we can place our anchor down on and be on solid ground is no longer there. We can't count on those things and the unknown is ahead of us, right? We're not quite sure and we can't control things and we want to go to that place of security. We want to go to that place that we know to hang our hat on. And I know a little bit about transition and living in that liminal space because growing up, uh, I was the son of a preacher man, and he, not only was he a pastor, but he was a church planter. And not a church planter like me. Like, I, you know, I was a church planter. We planted Renew um, 10 years ago, but, but I'm still here, right? My dad planted maybe, like, in the teens, churches. 
And so every time he planted churches, we moved. And every time we moved, it's a new house, a new room, a new school, new elementary schools, new multiple junior high schools, a couple high schools. And so, uh, and looking back, I recognize that each time that we moved created a little anxiety and stress inside me. And maybe I have learned to hide it and stuff it down a little bit, um, but it was stressful. And the way that I coped uh, each school that I went to each new place is through performing, either performing academically or uh, trying to do well at sports, just being a perfectionist in whatever I did. Because if I performed, then I would find a place, right? I would have you know something to hang my hat on. You know, people would appreciate me and like me, I would carve out a space for myself. And so that was me. There's also a gift in those kind of transition times because, and I think the gift is the ability to adapt, right, in, in different situations. You know, I grew up, you know, in the South, Texas, Georgia. We also lived in LA. I was born in Hawaii. We lived, my dad was a missionary in uh, Samoa, so we, to Korean missionaries, so we lived in Samoa, right? Land of large fruit and large people, right? And, um, uh, and so learning how to interact with a lot of different cultures and a lot of different people and be kind of a chameleon. A chameleon changes their colors to adapt you know, to the environment around them. I'm able to change colors and adapt. There's an amber alert. Uh, adapt. Stop, stop, stop. That's hilarious. Does it go even when it's on silent? That's interesting. That's so invasive, but I guess it's important. It's important. Um, uh, what was I? Oh, chameleon, the, the ability to adapt uh, in different situations. Um, and it has served me well um, in terms of ministering and in terms of um, evangelism and witnessing because I, I feel like I can connect uh, on different levels with different uh, kinds of people from different walks of life. And I just erased my notes there. Um, so moving around a lot. So that liminal, uh, I feel like in many ways I've lived in that liminal space. If you are the children of missionaries, for instance, <laughs> I, I think we have some here, um, uh, you've heard uh, third culture kids, right? You know, children who grew up in a different, uh, in another country, a different culture, so they're not quite a part of that culture, but then they move back to the States, they're not quite, they don't quite fit in there, and so you're in, you're in that space between, um, and it can be hard and difficult, that liminal space, but it can also be a gift because you're that bridge person, you understand two different places. Um, in, in kind of uh, racial cultural identity, um, we talk about bicultural people or multicultural people. Um, like, for instance, me. I'm Asian American. I'm Korean American, meaning my parents were immigrants. They came from Korea, but I was born here. So growing up, even though I speak English, I was educated in America, um, I have that culture, 
cultural background, and I don't, I speak English better than I do Korean, way better. Um, at home, there's still that Korean culture, right? There, we still eat Korean food. We ate rice, you know, and different stuff. And I brought my, you know, especially in Texas, I'd bring my friends over to play, and they'd open my refrigerator, and I'd be like, they're about to open the refrigerator. Like, no! Right? Because they'd get the waft of garlic and, what's this? Right? Like kimchi. <laughs> and so, you know, keeping those two different worlds separate, right? Because, you know, I want to assimilate in the dominant culture. I want to assimilate and be able to function in this culture. But at the same time, you know, there's this, this, this heart language. There's this home, homeness at home and negotiating with that with my parents and interacting with them. So that's what biculturalism means. And growing up, a lot of people who are bicultural, multicultural, can turn on and off the light switch, right? So if you're in a work professional setting, you talk a certain way, you know how to act um, in this way. Uh, and then when you're at home or with other people who are whatever in, of the same culture or background as you, you can flip that switch and tell different kinds of jokes, even change you know, your accent or how you speak. And that's kind of like code switching, right? That's the ability to turn in, on and off the light switch. That's biculturalism. But when you look at scripture, you'll see that when God calls um, his leader, um, many times this leader finds himself in a liminal space, right? In transition or caught between two worlds. Many times, God's leader that he calls is a person who's bicultural, right? Let's, let's put that to the test. The Apostle Paul. What do we know about Paul, right? Roman citizen, but also grew up as a Pharisee, you know, right? I'm the Pharisee of the, I'm the Pharisee, I'm the most Pharisee of Pharisees, right? And at the same time, he could get by in the, you know, the ruling Roman occupying culture because he was a Roman citizen. So even when he was arrested, he was like, do you have one of these, right? Do you have one of these citizenship cards? No, do you? So he could, he could like glide in um, different worlds. Um, who else can we think of? Um, ah, my mind, my brain. Um, Moses, right? Uh, we'll just go to Moses right here. This, the call of Moses. Let's examine this. When we hit Exodus, um, it's been a long time since Genesis, Jacob, right? Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. Um, if you remember, Joseph was sold to people uh, to Egypt, and then he, he was a servant in Egypt, and then he kind of rose in the ranks, and then he reunited with his family and everyone, this was during a drought and a famine, everyone moved to Egypt in that family, um, the first family of God. And, um, but since then, when we hit Exodus, there's just this long period of silence since Jacob. And what's been happening is that uh, the Hebrew people were very good at making babies, basically. They were like, you know, reproducing, reproducing, growing, growing, and they're, it, the scripture says they're very hardy. So even when, you know, they oppressed them, they enslaved them because the uh, 
the people in the country, the Egyptians, the, the locals, felt threatened by these immigrants and um, beget, you know, put, put, enslaved them, basically. And even so, they kept thriving. The Hebrew people kept thriving. God was blessing them. And Pharaoh makes this decree like, we got to stop, we got to slow these people down, right? We got to slow this down. This is, right, we're losing jobs, you know, they're taking over. And uh, so he's like, let's throw every firstborn male uh, Hebrew into the river Nile. Let's throw them into the river. And so that's what he does. And um, that's what happens. And so... Moses is born into this genocide, basically, into this kind of really oppressive system, very violent system, um, where children are being killed um, in order to eliminate a whole people group. And um, so Moses' mom uh, goes to Moses' sister and says, uh, she, she creates this basket, you know, put them, it's... Moses' kind of ark, right? Put them in this basket, put them on the Nile uh, River, and, and just watch. Um, and Pharaoh's daughter, who's bathing in the river, river sees um, Moses, the baby, floating in the basket. Meanwhile, Miriam is, you know, paying attention, watching to see what happens. And... Um, the scripture says that Moses was really, really pretty, really good looking, right? So the Pharaoh's daughter, maybe that is for this very reason. Pharaoh's daughter's like, oh, what a beautiful baby, you know, and falls in love with Moses and uh, basically wants to uh, adopt him. And Miriam's right there like, you know, can you find someone to nurse this baby? Um, because none of my midwives can do it, none of my servant girls can do it, so Miriam's like, I know someone. <laughs> so she grabs uh, the mom, and which is a whole nother sermon, right? We read in Acts and in Hebrews about the faithfulness of Moses' parents, right? Give, you know, to lean on God, to trust God. And they trusted God in the midst of this oppressive time. They could have run away with Moses or like escaped she literally puts him on his ark in the Nile, and God brings Moses back to her, right? Um, and she's able to uh, nurse her own baby, um, all while him being protected, right? Now he, Moses ends up growing up in the royal household as an, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses becomes bicultural, right? Um, because he's raised Egyptian. Um, in fact, in the Egyptian uh, royal household, and he's Hebrew. And we don't read anything about Moses' childhood. We don't, you know, learn about, oh, one day Moses, when he was five, went to looked at his reflection in the pond and said, I don't look like the other Egyptians. Like, we don't learn that stuff. All we know is that he sees, he sees an Egyptian beating on 
one of his people, it says. So at some point, Moses recognizes or kind of had an identity thing like, I know I'm not Egyptian, I'm Hebrew, right? And he recognizes the Hebrew uh, people as his own people. And the Egyptian people, the soldier who's killing, the, or this person, Egyptian who's killing uh, his Hebrew brother, something in him has compassion for the Hebrew person, right? Something in him sides with this group, even though he grew up in this group. Does that make sense? Like, and so he ends up killing the Egyptian. So he's kind of like, maybe he's having this kind of like moment where, you know, growing up um, Asian American, there's always a time, whether it's college, you know, like when I was growing up, I always wanted to fit in, right? I always wanted to make sure people didn't know, like, it was hard in Texas to fit in because no one looked like me, right? It's like, I'm just one of you guys, right? But in college, you're like, I don't want to fit in. I'm tired of trying to fit in, right? Um, Korea, and you're like putting up Korean flags and eating Korean food, and Korea's the best. Look, we're the best archers, and we're the best shooters in the Olympics, like, and speed skaters. We're good at speed skating. Yes, Korea, Korea, everything's Korea. And maybe that's what Moses is like. He's trying to go through this identity crisis, and he's like, yeah, forget the Egyptian things. Forget this. My people, I'm going back to my motherland, right? My people, I'm fighting for my people. But he runs into the other side of that, right? The other side of that is he sees two Hebrew people fighting. They're fighting, and he tries to break them up. He's like, hey, don't you brothers, don't fight. You're people. Right, Korea. No, just kidding. <laughs> and uh, they're fighting, and he breaks them up, and they're like, "Who are you to tell us to be, you know, to make peace with us? You're you're that sellout, right? You ain't a part of us. You didn't you didn't grow up on the street. You you don't have any street cred. And so Moses is in that liminal space." And one of the Hebrew guys says, right, we, we saw you kill that Egyptian. And what does it say? Moses became really, really afraid. Really afraid. And um, he ends up running away. And that's, that's the liminal space, right? You're not here and you're not there. So where are you? I'm not here, I'm not there, where am I? And it, it, it causes Moses to run away to Midian, um, where he lives for a while, and he's basically in hiding. And he's in Witsec, right? He's in witness protection. I lose my identity, no one knows where I am, I'm in hiding because I'm afraid. I don't know where I stand. And I think... For the follower of Jesus, for the believer in God, it may be this liminal space is a really hard space, and many of us might be in it right now or have at least gone through it to a certain extent in the last few years, right? A lot of us, or we can at least remember a time when we are in that transition, I don't know where I am or belong, 
uh, kind of floating space, and it's really scary. But I, I think the message that God wants to be brought today is that that is just the right space for you to be in where I can do a work in your heart. Amen. Amen. This is because your heart's so vulnerable. It's open to me now. And you don't have the things, you know, kind of like the things you rely on usually that make you strong or confident. You just have me to tell you who I am. And look, read chapter 3. That's the call of that. It's into that space that God calls Moses. And he comes in a burning bush, right? On this, this ground, a sacred ground. And he calls Moses actually to go back to Egypt and lead my people, lead the Hebrews out of enslavement to be his leader, to set my people free, right? Um, and what is Moses' response to God's call? Like, he's overwhelmed at first, and he says, who am I? Who am I? Right? Who am I that, you sh- that I should do these, be your leader, that you should call me to do this? I'm not, you know, and he gives all these excuses. I'm not even a good speaker, right? I, you know, and God's like, uh, you know, I'll help you. And, and then later, what ends up, what God says is, I will be with you. He says, on this mountain, you know, you will be worship, you'll worship me. And I am who I am. So to Moses' question of who am I, right? I don't know who I am. I'm confused. Who am I? What does God respond? I am, right? And I will be with you. I will go with you. So when we ask those questions, who am I, God? What are you doing? What are you up to? I don't like this liminal space. God says, I am, right? And brings those words of security and confidence of home. My home, I am making a home for you. I am your home. Are you with me, church? So why does it, how does this relate to embodying our faith? How does this relate to liminal bodies? I think it's really important for us as followers of Jesus to embrace these liminal spaces, to really engage, not to run away or to cope, right? Because we can do that, right? I do that all the time. When I'm nervous or I'm insecure, let me just flip on my Netflix and I'm just going to stream for like 10 hours, right? Like I'll escape into my world. Um, but to engage and to, to turn to God and really be like, God, I receive what you have for me in this time. And when we do that, we, we begin to embody or get used to, we, we work out those little muscles of being in liminal spaces. We recognize God's voice in those spaces. 
And if we can begin to recognize God's voice and like the terrain and geography of those desert spaces, those liminal spaces, we also begin to recognize that there are other people in these liminal marginal spaces, right? And they've been here for a long, long time. They've been here. You can't recognize those who are on the margins or those who are in the liminal spaces, the liminal bodies, unless you've, you've experienced that yourself. Does that make sense? Right? Because most of us like the party, right? We like the, the we like to, we gravitate towards the center of the party. Who's the funny person? Who's like talking the most? Where is the action happening? And we don't want to be, I, at least I don't want to be the guy in the corner, like, sitting with my, leaning against the wall, like, being awkward. But it's upside down. It's the upside down kingdom, right? When we understand the margins and the liminal spaces, we begin to see the people who are in transition, who are going from point A to point B. You talk about displaced peoples, for instance. How many different people in the world have been displaced in the last five years, right? Refugees. They, those are liminal bodies. Those are liminal people, right? Going from point A to point B and having lost their homes and no, no place to call their country. Where's my land, right? the homeless, people who don't have homes, right? Those are people in transition. We call them, you know, transitory, right? People in transition. And we can begin to have compassion and see those people. Immigrants, right? People don't, who don't speak the, the language, English. They're away from their motherland, the place of comfort, and they're in a strange place trying to navigate strange waters. How can we understand and have compassion and step into those places? Are you with me, church? Like, to embody our faith means to, to be as Jesus, to really, be, with courage, step into those places that Jesus would have stepped into, that Jesus did step into, off the beaten path, right? The unexpected encounters, the woman at the well, right? A rabbi shouldn't be talking with a Samaritan woman, a Gentile woman, right? A Samaritan person shouldn't be helping out this Jewish person who's beaten on the side of the road. Like these things should not be happening, right? Those are things on the edges, the dark shadows, right? But that's where we are supposed to be. And so my encouragement to us is to really, if you find yourself in that liminal space, in the space between, like embrace that as a teaching moment, as a discipleship um, period, because God is there, right? God is in those place, places. You can even say he's more present there, right? Or more, or louder there than in the other place. Or the other places, the, 
uh, are too loud for us to hear God's voice. Let's pray. God, thank you for your voice, for your call um, in Moses' life and the life of other others in Scripture. And um, help us to glean, to read between the lines and see um, what, how you are working in the lives of individuals um, like Esther, like um, Paul, like Moses. Um, and give us courage to embrace the challenges that are before us, the situations we find ourselves in. And I pray that you comfort us and walk alongside us in the times that we are in the liminal space, we are in transition, we are in between, and um, it's hard, and it's scary, and it makes us nervous, and we, we're afraid. Um, will you walk with us and remind us of who you are uh, and tell us, uh, call us by name. In your name, amen.